This podcast is brought to you by NewFarmSupply.com. If you're a lunatic farmer just like me and you want to get tree starts, grafting tools, or any living fencing starts, go to NewFarmSupply.com and use discount code SAMPLE and save 20% on anything you purchase. Also, this podcast is brought to you by ProfitableUrbanFarming.com. Click on the link in the show notes and save $100. Thank you guys and enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, this podcast was supposed to happen on Labor Day, but due to busy schedules and a conflict, I was able to reconnect with this gentleman at Permaculture Voices, and we greet each other with a nice big hug. He is the founder of the Permaculture Student. He is also an author at the Permaculture Student. He is a permaculturist, an educator, and the owner and operator of the Powers Permaculture Family Farm. He is currently which we're going to talk about launching an, a Kickstarter right now, which we will get into. Um, and I think that's for permaculture student too, correct, sir? That is correct. Absolutely. So um, his name is Mr. Matthew Powers. Matt, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing amazing, actually. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, yeah, man, I'm excited to have you on, man. It was like uh, when I first met you, I felt like we had an instant connection at my birthday dinner. You and I bonded over talking about nutrition and different juice diets that we researched. And then you had actually brought up something fascinating to me, which was switching over to a paleo diet after you beat cancer. But that's not actually what we're here to talk about. But uh, um, I don't know. I always have a blast talking to you. Oh, I forgot. You're also the host of the podcast, Permaculture Tonight, which is a great podcast. You guys should check it out. It is on SoundCloud. Um, so anyways, we were just talking about a little bit before Matt used to be a musician and then we, we started talking about the audio book that you were working on. Um, yeah. Where were we before I rudely interrupted the conversation with starting this podcast? Uh, <laughs> well, well, sorry. So the Kickstarter made its goal for, and so what, whenever I plan these Kickstarters, I always want to value add the people who have already given in. Yeah. And so after a certain point, um, I start creating things that are just for the people who are backers. So after we made our goal, I decided that, and my wife and I obviously discussed this beforehand, but we're going to make an audiobook about our journey. And, uh, we've kind of had like a wild journey. Um, my wife, you know, she was started flying planes and she was eight. I started skiing when I was two. My first roommate, one of my first roommates, we had like four, I had three roommates in a small, tiny room at a co-ed dorm in middle school. Um, one of my one of my roommates went on to the Olympics. Uh, another kid, an older kid, went on to the Olympics and the same thing. Um, we just had, and then I was a musician playing for seven years with Saturday Night Live's a house drummer in New York City. Um, and... So I've kind of been all over the place in New, New England, New York, and yeah. then I recorded studios out in LA for a while. I wrote a book on visual music theory. I was I wrote science fiction and kind of like Bukowski kind of stuff at NYU. And That's actually, awesome. you know, my, my proofreader was Rachel Ray before she got huge. Um, I used to play music with her husband for many, many years. And so there's just all this crazy stuff that, that's who I was. I was like this bass player. And then I was this writer, you know, and yeah. then I met my wife and all those things began to just change. I stopped drinking. I, you know, I, we, we got married. I knew she was my wife day two. We got, I asked, I told her I loved her three weeks into our relationship. The thing you don't do when you're 23, <laughs> you know, that you don't do that. Right. Yeah. So, and then six months later we were married. You know what I mean? And, and I just knew it on day two. And it was like, ever since, you know, I, I don't know, there's just a lot of things that have happened in my life that are pretty amazing. And then it's a lot of hard stuff too. My wife's had cancer three times 
and we've had to like learn nutrition um, in a crash course. Uh, and I learned. Yeah. To, and, and you guys use the Gerson uh, method, correct? A yes, we times. did. It's the Gerson method. Gerson, uh, yeah. And and we we didn't do all the supplements because we couldn't afford it, and maybe that was part of the reason why. But afterwards, we really had to rebuild her body um, and my body too. Because um, you suffer from Crohn's, you told me. Yeah, yeah. But you but you manage it all through nutrition, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, all, I try. Yeah, I do it through all natural means. I do have a um, a really handy set of natural supplement pills that are like you know ground down ma- marshmallow uh, or marshmallow um, herb and like okra and you know it's all these different things that make my stomach um, slippery. Yeah, and so that I can pass food easily. Um, so I do have that. It's all natural stuff. But it is still in a pill form, <laughs> <laughs> and I and I mean I do use essential oils. Um, I think those are. I mean, when antibiotics don't work um, because they stopped working for me years ago. Yeah, uh, you have very little options, and it gets real scary really, really fast if you're allergic, like my wife is, to like antibiotics. So she has no immune system. Um, she had her thyroid removed, and they ablated her thyroid with radiation. And so, and like that, just man, I could feel like the heat like rising in my body just thinking about how that time period in my life. It's going to be super hard to do that section of the audiobook, but it's going to be like catharsis for us because it's it's so hard to talk about. But man, people have to know that grandmas are being given radioactive pills and then sent home on the public buses. Yeah, and that bu- that public bus seat is radioactive for six months straight for everyone who touches it. So, I mean, I, I, it, it, I, I, I stutter, I get like emotional when I think about all this, but it just has to be shared. And so, and especially because we found a way out of all that awful trapped feeling. Cause I mean, how many Americans like feel like they're trapped right now, either in their job, their health, the, the crazy healthcare system that, that punishes you and prevents you from even paying out of pocket for things as soon as you sign up. If you don't know about that yet, oh boy. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm, I am definitely intense, partially because of who I am just naturally, but another side of it is because of what I've been through um, as a, as a husband and as a dad. I mean, my wife, um, she, she was diagnosed with cancer when our son was a few months old, you know, and then had to be separated. And then I took care of her. So I was separate from the baby too. James, you know, you know, my son, James. And, and so, yeah, it's just some heavy, heavy stuff. And I know so many families are going through it. My wife was one of the first people in her early 20s to lose her thyroid. She was one of the first people to have a baby having no thyroid. Cause there was no, there was no like medical journal on it until afterwards. My son was like three when it first came out. So people, I want people to know what's going on. I want people to know, I mean, the things that are attacking our thyroids um, are in the plastics. The things that are attacking, I mean, we're talking about uh, hormone disruption in BPA and plastics and all this stuff. It's like, well, where are your hormones like regulated by? Well, that would be your thyroid. So if you're disrupting your hormones, what are you disrupting? Your thyroid for a lot of it. Yeah. You know, not all of it, of course, but for a lot of it. And then you start asking around, like, how many people are on Synthroid? Oh, I take a little Synthroid. And, the, and then that's half the people in the church who are ladies. And then several of the older guys are taking it too. And it's like, wait why is everyone on this pill? And you look it up and it's the second most popular pill in America. And it's like, wait, what's going on here? You know? And it's like, why, why is everyone's thyroid messed up? What are we doing? You know? And it's the meat, it's the GMOs. It's, it's all this stuff that's just unnatural for our hormones to be balanced. We got to be taking in things that are balanced. Um, and you know, that's, that's like I said, I, I mean, it's going to be a project to create an audiobook about this because it, it, luckily my wife actually keeps a very detailed log of our life and she's got it all cataloged in her uh, journals. And so it's going to be pretty easy to do. Um, 
And organization-wise, writing a book is pretty easy for me. I've done it over a dozen times now. Yeah. Um, so and, and I love doing it. I, I love teaching. And half the people I work with online are my friends who are writers. And we talk <laughs> We talk writing. <laughs> <laughs> That's you know, good, though. you got to talk about the things that you're passionate about. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, people like Erica Wisner and people like Peter McCoy, I mean, they're writers. I mean, that's the thing is people are like, oh, they're these experts. It's like, yeah, but there's other experts out there who just can't write like these wonderful writers. And also experts can, you know, we're just really lucky to have those kind of people. Absolutely. And so I was chatting with them. Um, so is that how you got into permaculture was, was because you started paying attention to your food? Was that kind of what, like you, 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 you know, you couldn't handle antibiotics anymore. You were looking for more natural ways to, to heal yourself and your wife. And then was it like a natural progression to find permaculture? It was like there was a forest fire and I was fleeing the forest fire. Um, and the forest fire was in my stomach and in my wife's body. Yeah. And, and I was desperate and like, I would be doing sessions down in LA and, you know, Plus my friends, like they just totally gave me space and allowance. But in the middle of sessions, I would lay down and be like groaning, you know, and not very professional, but I love all these guys and they love me and we worked together for years. And so they just let it go. But I mean, I was in real trouble. I had to cut out all meat and I started, you know, we started looking into not eating meat and um, I had just, you know, just eaten what what we thought was good for years, you know, just what was the more pricey thing that wasn't organic, just yeah, like yeah. things that everyone eats at, you know, nice restaurants, which is all Cisco, right? It's not really great. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, and with my wife, the cancer just kept coming back. I mean, three months later after we did the radiation, she got melanoma, like all up her leg, deep. And it almost hit her lymph node. And so they like, when they were doing the surgery, they were chasing into her leg after it. Just awful, 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 awful stuff, right? And she, and, but like, to give you a glimpse of like what my wife is like, she forced them and made them put a mirror up and not put her to sleep so she could watch the entire procedure so she would know what they were doing and could talk to them. You guys are are hardcore. My wife, when I met my wife, I literally said to her, I was like, you're a punk. And she was like, what? And I was like, I know you, you're a punk. And like, I just loved her. She, she is what makes me like, I don't know. Just, I, I just knew she, I knew her and I didn't know where from, but she had my heart. And, um, I don't know. It just was crazy. I was actually kind of seeing her roommate beforehand and roommates getting married next month. So it's not a big deal, water under the bridge. But but yeah, like it was the Seinfeldian switch sort of. I mean, the roommate was interested in me. I was kind of not really interested in her, but whatever. And, um, and we obviously were meant to be. Um, and I just totally just was like, hey, what are you doing over there, roommate? And um, And she just thought I was like ridiculous at first. And, um, yeah. And, but, but the thing was, I didn't know this, but she had seen me a week earlier play bass with my teeth on stage. So I had all this like street cred with her. So me acting like, um, uh, like that, um, had somewhat of a context with her. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, we're, it's a lot of fun to like talk about this with my wife in the room. Absolutely. recording her responses and her perspective because it was it was a lot of fun and pretty wild i got her to quit a job where she was managing a you know a multi-million dollar business around the corner from wall street and she was doing really well and i was just a musician without without a home um you were just uh you were couch surfing yeah yeah i was couch surfing you know i didn't have a home I wasn't really homeless because I could go home to mom or dad in Long Island or Connecticut, but I didn't want to go home. And I just, some nights I would just spend the whole night walking, you know, cause no one let me sleep on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so but so like so when did um i mean so you met your wife and you know you guys you guys got married you started but when did you stumble into permaculture because I mean, okay, you've been so, on you've been on PBS. Uh, you've been featured on PBS, which I'll I'll put links in the show notes, which are really cool short videos. Um, anyway, yeah, keep going. Costa did an amazing job. Uh, Michael does a lot of work here locally in our area, and just somehow found what I was doing and decided to spend some time over here. And I and we're planning on doing episode three. We're really excited about it. I believe he is. Um, in Nepal right now. So he's on assignment, I think. Um, and, or he's on vacation. I don't know, but he's in Nepal, I think right now. And so hopefully when he gets back and when I get back from going to uh, Baker Creek for the spring festival, I'm speaking over there. Um, we'll, we'll film something else and we'll get it out by uh, late spring. That's awesome. So, so he's a good friend of yours, a good personal friend of yours. Well, uh, now, now, but you get, so how did, how did he find you to, to, um, you said no idea. Yeah. Um, the thing is, I mean, other than what I do on Facebook and so social media, I don't make cold calls. Um, I connect with people who are experts and who are working in the field to try to get the best information for my, my, for my materials. Um, and because my materials are for kids, so they all want to work with me. Um, yeah. They want to make sure it's correct, really. And they also, you know, they're excited because this is important to get out to kids. So I don't do any kind of advertising. And so my stuff's getting to schools all over the world by sheer word of mouth and reputation. That's pretty awesome. And, and you do have quite a following. I mean, it's pretty impressive to uh, crush your Kickstarter goal and what like 14 you got 14 days left so it only took half the month yeah it's pretty amazing it's, uh, it should be it, it's pretty rewarding in a sense like it's a it's a good sign that what you're doing is 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 right and it's it's forthright you know what i mean like um because i'll just say like matt is really this high energy in person like if anybody ever gets the pleasure of meeting matt he's one of the most fun dudes to sit down and talk to um because everything is 100 percent genuine about you well, thank you. I try. I mean, I, that's the thing when you get to choose what you do with your day and time, you, you, you can be generous with the things you can be. You can choose the person you want to be and you don't have to be two people. You don't have to be, you know what I mean? You don't have to contort yourself. You can be free. And I, I just think that, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't want to be any other way other than the same as I am in Per, you know, in person as I am in public. That that was one of the things about Rachel Ray, like early on when um, she was, uh, you know, becoming a star. People were like, wow, you know, she's amazing. And I'm like, she does five filmings a day. She's like that all the time. And that's the only way you can do that. If you can show up and improvise, if you can show up with nothing and no notes. Like I'm speaking at Earth Day in San Diego at Balboa Park. I'm... I'm going to draw up some like, you know, rudimentary like things and gather some things, but I'm, I'm just going to go up and speak from the heart. And if you know your stuff, if you are one, if you are committed, if you are one with your message, you don't need anything. It, you are it. You are the message. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And so I seek to be whatever I want, whatever I, I, I seek, I seek to embody my beliefs. Um, and so that's, what's been the most liberating thing of being my own boss of empowering people. Because for me, it's like, yeah, I'm, I've been empowered by all these people through this Kickstarter, through this, you know, this is really an anarchy format. Yeah. True. You know, um, direct democracy, voluntary, yeah, true choice uh, when we create businesses this way. And so this empowerment, I've been able to turn this around and then empower people all over the world. Like all my translations, um, I don't really uh, put this online or anything, but all the translators dictate the price. Yeah. They're all donated. And because of the way print-on-demand works, I'm not going to see any money. We're going to set things at like $12 a book and that 
if any of you do color on print on demand out there, you know exactly how that's zero profit. But the idea is all those translators in those countries can use the resources for free. All the digitals, they can print out as many as they want, give it to as many schools as they want. And so it becomes this, and, it, and, and I'm, not, I'm not controlling that. I'm not being like, and we'll go here and, oh, give me, per- we got to fill out the form. It's completely, you know, following the permaculture ethic where we're decentralizing the information in such a way to give people the ability to empower other people. And that's the future. The future is decentralized empowerment of people and culture is going to come back because what we have now, all the problems, all the, we just have composting happening. Our culture is composting. They're like, oh, everything's rotten. Everything's bad. It's like, yeah, it's composting. Let's let that compost. Let it go. It's a great analogy. For sure. Composting culture. I, uh, yeah, that's that's interesting to think about, Matt. I never even thought about it that way. But I, I, I agree. I think people are you know, people need to get over themselves and people need to, to let things go and and just kind of embrace I don't know, embrace go with the flow, you know what I mean? Like that's always what I try to do, but I try to go in my my own direction, if that makes sense. But everyone has their own direction and their own season, you know, all things in their season. You a person listening to this might be stuck in a contract for the next two years with some big corporate giant and they're desperate to get out and they're, and maybe they're looking for an, a way out, you know, but they don't want to be judged. They're stuck. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's so many people like that in America. And if we get them the information that's in my book and the information that's, you know, like in Eric Tonsmeyer's book and, in, you know, holistic management and in, you know, all these different, like Peter McCoy's Radical My College, all these huge books of information I'm boiling down so that there are introductions that are correct for these bigger volumes um, so we can create a curricular path and a collection of educational materials that gives a clear outline for how to be regenerative earth dwellers or people or citizens of the earth or whatever, um, but I mean, I love people everywhere. I don't like like a person more over this border or that border. Um, we're all just people. Yeah, <laughs> the, the social construct of uh, countries and nations—it's—it's it's just kind of silly. Um, I mean, right now it's something that we're we're forced to live in, and there's different countries that give you different benefits and everything else like that. But I mean, you know, just. For me personally, and I know you personally, like I try to control myself and, and my block. You know, I try to make an influence on my block and on my street and maybe in my city. And then, you know, try to own my space on the internet and try to be a positive influence for as many people as possible. That's awesome. That's I so- wish I did more on my block. I, I, I mean, I'm in California in the foothills in Madera County. And so people are. You know, if you give suggestions to people, that's insulting in this area. <laughs> so, you know, like what you have to do is be the Pied Piper, as my uh, one of my like uh, teacher mentors used to say. You know, you've got – and that's the thing about education. It's like the students have to want to learn it. Otherwise, you're pushing and pulling, and that's not learning. Um, and so if we really want people to change the way they live, we want people to be self-reliant. We got to make it look nice. We got to make it look fun. We got to make it look like lucrative. And you gotta you gotta create a doorway that's that looks good for people to walk through. Absolutely. Um, though I, though I will say that many of my videos, I work with like pallets and chicken wire, and I do things in such a way that I prove that anyone can do it. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah man. I think it's important to get in where you fit in. I think that's that's the biggest thing. I think just getting started and then learn as learn as you go. I think for me like you know, I it's it's weird for me to think about Matt because, you know, I I knew I you know, I I I was telling somebody before like I was obsessed. I wanted to like get a house sometime whenever I did have a house. I wanted to turn my my yard into a garden and then, you know, grow food not lawns. And then um, I never thought I'd fall down the rabbit hole of permaculture, go to permaculture voices and everything else like that. But it wouldn't have happened had I not gotten started, which is my point. Like 
you know, if you keep going and you keep investing in yourself and then, then, you know, all these doorways are going to open up for you and you're going to meet cool people and you're going to be able to network. And I get to sit down at a table during a conference and eat Matt Powers' olives that he's grown and homemade hummus, which was delicious. So, I mean, you know, and it's, it's, um, I don't know. People need to follow their hearts, you know, <laughs> but I, I think it's, it's just cool. It's cool to think about Matt. It's cool to think about, just just the community of, of permaculture and and um and I don't know I, I think just all it gives you gives you hope again in in, in reality because every the whole the whole idea of that um you know I mean yeah there's some stuff that's messed up like you know Neil was talking to me about the aquifer systems and everything and yeah I mean that's that's definitely a problem but I mean like but at the same time there's people that are trying to do things that are regenerative or there's people that farm like you do or and so, you know, I, and Grant Schultz, and I think, you know, it's, it's ultimately, man, it's, it makes, makes life exciting again. It makes, you know, so I don't know where I was going with that rant, Matt, but, um, it all, I love it. <laughs> it all flowed out, but you know, we still haven't talked about Matt, how you actually got into permaculture. We, we keep going down these different, these different rabbit holes and everything. Um, so when did you, when did you first discover permaculture, Matt? Okay, so I was uh, so being a teacher is kind of um, a roller coaster during the school year. So it was during the school year, and I it was Sepulter, and it was uh, Paul Wheaton's videos on YouTube, and then I found Jeff Lawton's uh, Food Forest. But uh, I think it was um, being streamed uh, not loudly on somewhere. <laughs> Uh, and I watched that, and I watched uh, the um, Rebel, uh, the Agro Rebel, and so I watched these programs online for free. And I've never I, seen the Agro Rebel. What's that one? Oh, it's worthwhile. It's it's got yodeling in the beginning, and um, you just got to stick through that, and then it'll start having. Um, I think I think there's a there's versions where you have English um, over the. Um, is that, is that about Sepp? Yeah, it's all about Sepp Holzer's Kermiterhof. And, you know, I, I heard, I, I read about uh, Masanobu Fukuoka, and then I got his book, and then I got Sepp's book, and I built Hugel's, and then I started seeing reactions in the land. And then I, I, I what was crazy was my wife was secretly saving money. And then Jeff Lawton's course came up. I showed it to her and was like, wow, I mean, this sounds so amazing. And she kind of was like, well, you know, you could take it. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? We can't afford that. That's crazy on credit. She was like, well, I did save money. And that, that, that was, I mean, that's happened, I think, twice in our, in our. Um, How dare <laughs> she secretly be frugal. We, yeah, we, we, well, we, I mean, we managed to save money one, once or twice, you know, but as a teacher with that fixed income, you can really, you can really measure things and figure out where the pinch points are to, you know, lower your budget. Um, and she's actually very good at that. She, um, she's the accountant and handles all the bills and stuff and money. Um, and so I was watching these videos. I took Jeff Lawton's course. But I had actually already read Permaculture, a Designer's Manual by Bill online off of archive.org. And so I had printed it out at school on my school printer because it was, you know, possible there. And they double-sided. I brought my own paper. Um, and so I printed it out and I read it. I still ha Actually, you know what? I gave it to a student to read because I, I bought the actual copy. Um, which is really funny because the actual copy I have now, the spine is broken in three different places and um, the cover just holds it together because I've read it so many times. Uh, and so I read it and then I took Jeff's course and it's like Jeff tied it all together because it was really hard for me to hold all the information together in a framework. And then I, as a teacher, the way I fully understand things is I teach it because that's the highest level of learning. Um, and so I turned around and I turned at, after I talked to Jeff about it, I turned it into uh, the permaculture student one and I tried to make um, curriculum so that it would be ready for my boys when they were of age to go and use it. 
And everyone wanted it because it became this like reference. So they could quickly say what a swale is. So they could quickly explain permaculture without it being like this rambling conversation. Uh, and, and from, I literally went from doing that to getting proof. I wrote it and then like I showed Jeff and Jeff was like, yeah, you know, talk to my son and like Daniel Lawton got involved and helped me. Uh, or was it, it's all right. So the first permaculture guy I ever met was Daniel Lawton and this guy who was working on his site in California. I kid you not. And so right around the time of me asking Jeff all this stuff and him saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. His brother, his son's there, Daniel. And I just start working with them. They start w- w- giving me all this confidence and this boost and being like, we'll help you. We'll make sure you don't sound like an idiot. Because, I mean, I'm an English teacher. I translate texts. I was a, a Shakespeare um, co- co- uh, colloquium at my NYU, you know, English major kind of thing. You know, I was an English nerd. I wrote books, you know, and I analyzed books. And so I could translate information. Um, and I was an organizer, a framework guy. And so I just took all this stuff and then I had the experts like Elaine Ingham, Rosemary Morrow go over it with me and basically teach me because, I mean, Rosemary Morrow, she's a a contemporary of Bill Mollison and she, you know, after Pol Pot was taken out of power, um, he, you know, he had killed all the males that were all the farmers and so it was only women left, they didn't know how to farm, so she went in there because they couldn't send an aid, it was too dangerous, so they sent her. And she went and taught the women how to cook. And so I had her helping me, and I mean, she just, her knowledge is so vast. Her book is The um, Earth User's Guide to Permaculture, and it's a guide to teach teachers how to teach permaculture. And so I had her help and her coaching. And it was just, you know, this incredible, like, thing where, where I was given this sort of, like, graduate school one-on-one education, which is very similar to, to how I was educated in middle school because I went to a ski racing school where I was coached half the day ski racing and lifting weights and running and doing, like, you know, aerobic kind of stuff. And then the other half of the day I was taking 20 to 30-minute classes one-on-one um, where they would, like, hyperspeed me through what all that my, my home school in Connecticut was doing with, it was, it was actually kind of, it's kind of confusing. I went to a special racing school. Both my brothers were like phenomenal athletes. Yeah. My old, my other older brother is like this golden child. I mean, probably hates me for saying that, but he is, he's, he's this amazingly, he's a professor right now. He was always an athlete. He always was an all-star athlete. Um, he was definitely someone to look up to. Um, but I wanted to do my own thing. So I became a musician and a farmer now. Right. And well, you know, I mean, I, I hesitate saying farm and farmer, but, but we eat everything we can. I'm a, I, I love seeds. I feel like I'm a seed farmer because I'm so into breeding plants and saving seeds that my wife gets on me. She's like, you know, we want to eat this. And I'm like, but, Think about how much more we could grow if it, we just let it go. And she's like, no, no. And so like, it's always a rub. And so I go, I turn into a seed farmer half the time because I just, I mean, th- there's something about starting with a pack of seeds and then turning it into gallons of seed within two to three years. It's just so empowering. And then you can like give it away like it's nothing. And people are like, wait, but this is like $7 worth of seed. And you're like, to me, it's nothing, you know? Absolutely. And, 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 it, and it is, and it's not being a, like, a, like arrogant. It's something they can do two, two years later without breaking a sweat. And it's like this, a beautiful thing where we're passing on this information. And I've got, you know, that's why I'm doing the introduction to permaculture for free on my website right now too. So that families. What's your uh, website? If you want to plug that real quick, Matthew. Oh, the permaculturestudent.com. And if you click on week one, the introduction, uh, it's there. And then there's the videos. There's like a bunch of videos. I go through planting bare root trees, working with quail, uh, mushroom farms. I mean, we go all over the place. Uh, th- that's the cool thing about permaculture is it can be 
me going and doing alternative energy with Troy, talking about large ocean repair with like, you know, Ernie Wisner. I mean, we can go anywhere. And like, that's what's really exciting is that, you know, they haven't gone everywhere. There's specialists that have, like Paul Stamets is a specialist, but, you know, Bill Mollison wasn't, wasn't writing about Paul's work because it was in 89 when he published that, you know? Yeah. So there's, there's so much more to talk about. I mean, he didn't even tackle any alternative energy, right? Um, so alternative energy isn't, isn't tackled usually in permaculture, but I'm going to do that because, I mean, have you heard of a Sterling engine? No. What's a Sterling oh. engine? So they started, they, 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 too many children were getting injured in the, the mines from the steam engines exploding. And this is before the, the law of thermodynamics was even made. And so people were making this stuff by intuition. And they were like, well, you know what? Uh, hot air rises and cool air falls. So they're like, it's the same as steam. And so they're like, okay, well, let's make a hot air engine. And this is actually how your car engine works. I mean, it's the hot air that's, you know, pumping those pistons. And so, and, and, and they just were using stick fire or coal to create the hot air, right? And not gas. And so there's a way that we could use rocket mass, rocket mass heaters or, or, and this is even more passive, which we all like passive, right? Absolutely. You have a solar conductor that goes to um, just a hard wire uh, to something metal that conducts to a, a focus point that makes heat on one side of your turbine, turbine or whatever. And then the other side is from, is the, has the air from a well, from a deep pocket of air that's cold. And so what happens if you have a sensitive enough, sensitive enough uh, system, you have this exchange of hot to cold and you can turn it because it's that exchange uh, that, that, that drives um, the rise and the fall. And there's a bunch of different ways to organize this. Uh, it's actually probably limitless, but a Stirling engine is one of them. And it's just the difference in pressure. And I mean, we, we all can understand in that uh, another kind of cool thing that we have and this is and this is another historical thing that's actually still being used in canada there's an air plant in canada and then there's um the summer mansion in saint petersburg that peter the great had built uses a trump the air plant uses a trump too and what it is is just falling water down a mine shaft or a deep hole and it captures all that air and then if you take that mine shaft and travel per, like horizontally and then give a gap above it for the air to collect and make pressure, you can create a release for both the water and the air. And the water come out as a geyser, and then the air comes out as cold, pressurized air. So that's free energy. There's no emissions, and it's constantly working. And this has been going on at a mine in Canada for over 70 years, they're getting free energy with no emissions. Um, so that's pretty exciting. And then I, just talking to Troy Martz and Ernie Wisner, I came up with this idea. And, and I say I came up or I hit upon this idea because you would have come up with this idea. My son would have come up with this idea. Everyone would as soon as they got this key information. Biofuel made from algae creates a biogas as it breaks down and turns into this, you know, raw element that can be refined, just like oil Canada oil refinery, just the same way. Because yeah. it has all the oils and lipids. And people have heard about that. The Carter uh, administration started this years ago. So everyone kind of knows about that. And they're like, oh, that's cool. So you can burn the biogas for electricity and then return the carbon to f the carbon dioxide to feed the algae under panes of glass with photosynthetic growth, right? And blooms. So everyone gets that. That's great. My whole thing, when I, as soon as I heard that, was like, okay, why don't we put these on top of all the old oil refineries? Yeah, make your electricity, but sink that biofuel right back into the ground. Because that would, um, that would just be a, a carbon sink, right? Absolutely. Now, is, the, um, is it easy to set up? Like what, because I know a lot of the uh, uh, criticism of a lot of renewable energy is that it's really expensive to put into place. Um, do you know already, they are already building these? And the thing is, it's all about small scale, right? Absolutely. So, 
So if we could just create small scale operations that run themselves, we could cap oil wells and have, and, and we want to draw in the atmospheric carbon. I'm not just saying have a closed loop system. I'm saying make sure all the carbon that you release from burning the biogas goes back in. Um, but we need to draw on the atmospheric carbon to feed the, these, these algae flushes in order to actually make it a carbon sinking event. But if we capped wells with these, it would begin the process of reversing it really rapidly and it would generate electricity. And so it solves a huge ordeal. And because there's so many dead wells, there's so many little power plants already just waiting to happen. And that, and so, and they already have pumps on them because they're well ready and willing to, you know, to restart these wells all the time, right? Um, half of them are being fracked right now. So, yeah, especially and, in yeah. Ohio, we got a ton of fracking going on here. And yeah. uh, but with the oil, I don't know. I don't want to take away. Anyways, keep going. Stay focused yeah, before I, I drew it up. Obviously, obviously, there's costs. There's costs that go into this. But the reality is, if we create power plants for our communities this way and just create them and hire private companies and do this sorts of things that people can monitor for transparency. Cause I mean, yeah, we can use our taxes locally and monitor things transparency wise and be on that company just fine. As soon as it gets away from the local, it, it all goes out the window, whether or not you're monitoring them for real. So we could actually make these cost efficient, um, and create these power plants. Um, but it takes community demand for sure. Yeah. And it take us not allowing, not creating a carbon tax, not doing that sort of route. Um, it would have to be direct. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, the thing is we have to make something that makes sense first, and then it has to make enough um, to make a dent. And then on the same time, we have to, in the reverse, take back our consumption levels. Absolutely. You know? You know what I mean? And and not only that, all of our waste needs to turn into a carbon sequestration event. Yeah. Yeah. Which it can. And that's, I go over that in the book. I mean, it's really carbon sequestration. I mean, Eric Tonsmeyer's book is coming out, The Carbon Farming Solution. Huffington Post is all over that. It's, I mean, it's making a huge splash. That was a big part of the Paris Climate Talks. Um Holistic management for decision-making is a big thing in the agrarian's platform, Darren Doherty. Um, People are starting to talk about how we need decision frameworks. And, you know, I mean, we need all sorts of frameworks, actually. We need the brittleness scale. Um, I was just talking to uh, Neil Speckman um, about about another scale that he uses in the drylands. And we all need these different scales uh, and lenses. It's not just one. I mean, we really need them all in order to make a good educated decision about all these things. Uh, I mean, we look at our education in schools. Nothing is regenerative. Nothing is actually related to life. Nothing is related to actual value. We create these imaginary values for imaginary tasks in this imaginary economy where most of the wealth leaves our communities and our families. We can't afford to buy land anymore in our country as people we can't afford i mean the banks have to buy it for us and we have to give them our servitude for 30 to 60 years and most of the people can't afford to deal with it at the end of it because the rest of the economy that they said would they were going to rely upon just isn't going to be there by the time they reach it so we're at this cusp moment i think and that's what permaculture is so attractive because it's like okay well we're going to cut out all this spending and then we're going to start making abundances where those, that spending was. And then you can trade, you can barter. And then eventually if you wanted to, you can make it into a business and sell it. Um, and it's all, most of it's all untaxable. Like how are you going to tax my fruit trees? Yeah. I'm bartering for them. You know, it's done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, or it's even, um, you know, I mean, I think Jack Spearco makes a good point with like, you know, when I started making my own cider and I started drinking my own cider instead of paying mm-hmm. money for beer. And, um, you know, it's just, you know, how can I, how can, you know, how can I monetize my lifestyle? But at the same time, how can I, 
reduce my expenses. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing. You know, I, I think people need to look at us. I mean, that, and it's also part of permaculture. You know, the problem is the solution. So what's your problem and try to figure out a way to use that problem to solve itself. Um, what do you do with your cider mash? Uh, so I don't make it from apples yet. I'm not that, ex- I'm not that, uh, that you mean like the, the, the residual like apple mash that you make. Yeah. 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 I'm not that advanced yet, man. I'm sorry to be okay, disappointed. Okay. I'm not as cool as some of the, the pros yet. Um, right. That's now- expensive. The, the whole press I've looked at it. I love it. The whole wooden, the slats and yeah. the sock comes through. It's gorgeous. There's actually a company, um, they, they sell broad forks and apple mashers. It's kind of funny. Um, it's uh meadow creatures or something like that. But uh yeah, or like the cider measure things. I, I actually i I do use Ohio apple cider though. Um I need to go. There's actually a spot up the road. Um my good friend, he's one of the local permaculture guys, Dustin Thompson. He he told me a place where, where I could go and actually get cider from an actual um apple orchard and start making and then uh so but it's all a process. Eventually, someday, someday, Matt, I'd like to to make my own cider from apples. That'd be pretty awesome. Uh, you know, take the mash and you make apple cider vinegar with it, right? No, I did not know that. So that's, that's what it comes from. It's like you let the mash sit and then it like drips. Yeah, and the dripping is the beginning of apple cider vinegar. It's kind of different. <laughs> so, what do you think about the uh, apple cider vinegar? health benefits i've heard mixed things i've heard people talk about it like put it way too up on a pedestal then at the same time people uh people try to take it down too much and say that it's not helpful at all but i've heard mixed things so so um my ph for my body is not your ph right yeah I, i i mean for us what i have learned is it all depends on your body right yeah yeah that makes so much sense yeah like i know for me like when i started it's kind of weird like the whole um you know because i talked to to grant about it because luke was giving him crap about being gluten-free because he's not he doesn't have celiac but he's like man i feel like crap for two days and i'm like yeah dude i'm just giving you a hard time it's systemic inflammation there's not a lot of studies on it but man i feel a whole lot better when i when i cut gluten out um and, we do too and, and cheese yeah cheese because um, you you said you've done whole 30 or you did something similar uh i don't know what what whole 30 okay. is. I, I i've definitely gone my own way yeah it's probably the same way so they say cut out cheese beans like pretty much all legumes um dairy I like beans though they they do um they do sometimes bother me yeah uh, it's got to be like you know, I mean, like, that's the thing. It's so hard to find balance. And it's like certain seasons at certain times, I'm so happy. My yeah. body's like singing. But, you know, I mean, also financially, it's just so hard. It's so hard. I have 100 trees in, right? And it's like, I'm looking at them. They look great. These, you know, they're just starting out now. You know what I mean? They're just like, I, I've got to wait two to three years for them to really do some stuff. And so I'm I'm looking at the future and it's going to be lovely. I've got salsify growing finally, you know, perennial lettuce, right? And so I've got like all this stuff happening. I I just still have to pay yeah. for like fruit, and yeah. and that's like that's like the thing and big and big um, vegetables. So I can't carry through the winter. So certain biennials I just can't do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't do like broccoli, you know what I mean? Because I can't carry it through the winter. Also, it, it takes up space wise too. Broccoli's a, it takes up more space than, I don't know. You got a, you got more space than I do. For me, it's like, you know, being ah. in the urban lot, like I'm really just focusing on, uh, like I got my, my hoop house that I got started, but just really focusing on doing the, the Curtis Stone method. But then I got the, uh, public lot that I want to start putting trees at and stuff. And hopefully the, uh, feral people in my neighborhood won't tear them out and continue to treat it like a uh, garbage dump but i do i did accept a challenge from grant schultz to plant 100 uh or 200 chestnut trees around columbus that's funny <laughs> so, so my whole thing is like i focus on plants um 
Like, all right, so Fukuoka and Sepp Holzer's whole methodology yeah. is so um, what I would call ham-fisted in the nicest possible way. Like, literally, these guys are, like, walking around throwing things and yeah. stomping on things. You know what I mean? And it's like, wh- what am I doing? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm trying to grow stuff that's just fighting me. And so I just, like, switched it up. And I, my, my wife doesn't like my style as much because I grow, I, I figured out a group of things I can grow that are like, do amazing, but they're, a lot of them are grains and greens. Um, a lot of them are like smaller fruits. Um, like, like, uh, I do perennial, um, uh, nightshades and stuff that are smaller berries and she wants a big, big, you know, red tomato. She wants a normal garden you know what i mean yeah and meanwhile i'm like and here's the aztec spinach and then <laughs> it's 14 foot tall orange giant amaranth that, that that i don't know if anyone has taller amaranth than me i just released the introduction to permaculture video uh and it's actually week one of my course so there's a plant focus in it we're cooking eggs like three different ways or something or four different ways and it's a holistic course on permaculture because if you don't teach how to cook something or what to do with the seed, you know, and no one's going to do anything with it. Yeah. So, so I've got this giant amaranth and literally it's just so ridiculous what amaranth is actually like. And so what I would do, I highly recommend is you take this seed and you grow it on the edges of everything you do and it will intimidate and it will, in its dignity and its prowess and its mightiness will force people and animals to respect that area. Like I put it on all the edges, the deer nibble on it and keep going. And the thing grows back faster than the deer nibble. And I still get cups of seed off the plant. So ironically, I accidentally bought amaranth. Not going to lie. I bought orange giant. Uh, I don't know. It's just said amaranth. You said I need to get horn giant amaranth. Orange, orange, orange giant not amaranth. Red giant. The red giant's um, uh, trunk is too weak. You okay. got to go with the orange because the orange will get. Um, so I can't put my entire uh, my two hands around the base of it. It's so thick. It's like a tree, and it's from a teeny teeny seed. Oh wow! It's really out of control. Yeah, and you just plant it along the like the border. Yeah, yeah, and the deer. I don't have fences. Um, I do uh, strawberry spinach because it's related to lamb's quarter, and it's a lovely spinach, and it has those berries. Yeah, they're insipid, but really fun. We have lamb's um, quarter all over Ohio. We actually have really yeah. good perennials around here. Lamb's quarter. Uh, what's the other one? Um, uh, well, dandelions, obviously, but then there's a third one that's really common here. Um, I can't think of it. Uh, Keep going. I'll interrupt you later, Matt. What's that? Is it arugula? No, it's uh, it's something else. It's uh, I, uh, wild here. You have a lot of wild arugula there. Yeah, I don't know if it is like truly wild or if it's like the fennel in California because the mm-hmm. fennel in California you see on the side of the roads were originally put there by like uh, a traveling um, like archbishop or something. No, oh, he just like fennel. Yeah, he just threw them out on the main roadways, and so there's fennel wild everywhere now. Uh, I can't think of the other name. It's like, uh, it's, it's, um, man. Yeah. It's lamb's quarter, Danny line. And there's another one that you can eat. It's a green as well. Is it nettle? No, it has like a name that sounds similar to something else, um, Hmm. which doesn't help at all. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah. I, uh, we have a lot of the wild strawberries too. Those are everywhere. And somebody, didn't know that you could eat those because they're like the Indian strawberries or Indian something strawberries. They don't really have a lot of flavor, but you can eat them. Um, huh. But yeah, so that's what we have here. It's not not quite as cool, but you're probably saying something, Matt, before I drew up the conversation there. Um, I just totally distracted your train of thought. Uh, but uh, anyways, I tell you what, I'm my back is starting to bug me. For anybody that doesn't know, this podcast may have been uh, lacking a little bit. Matt and I actually, Matt was kind enough to reschedule, but I hurt my myself um, working, and I got some inflamed inflamedness and some sciatica. So um, it just freaking kills me right now. But anyways, Matt. Um, so wrapping things up, 
So what's the best way for people to contact you, Matt? Well, on Twitter, I am permaculture123, and uh, there's like 30-something thousand followers on there following me on there, which is really exciting. Yeah, man. <laughs> I was looking at that. I was like, holy cow. Yeah, it's it's one of the bigger – it might be the biggest permaculture account on Twitter, um, which is really exciting. I mean, there's tons of interest. People are looking for the answers. Yeah. And so I'm just – really happy that I can be like a conduit, you know, for, for these people everywhere, um, to get the information. And so my main website, which is where you can get links to everything is the permaculturestudent.com. And on Kickstarter, if you look up the permaculture student two, um, I have a Kickstarter for my second book, which is perfect for all adults. It's the first high school, um, permaculture textbook ever. And it's peer reviewed. It's got a lot of stuff that no, no permaculture textbook is going to have. Um, and it's really, really exciting. So I hope that everyone can join in supporting it. It's already made its goal. So now we're actually just, you know, having thrown a party and I keep adding on fun gifts to the people who are already backing it. So if you hop on now for just $30 for just the ebook, um, and and the book's going to be 300 to 400 pages long. So just for $30 for the ebook, you get also a children's storybook ebook and you get an audio book about our journey. So it's pretty good, I think. Yeah, I agree. That's pretty awesome. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to uh contribute to the cause, man, to get this audio book and in a book. Um and uh and so yeah, so and I'll put links in the show notes as well. Um uh, definitely if you guys can um fr- friend Matt on or like Matt's uh um, stuff on Facebook as well. And if you're nice to him, friend him. Um, and check out his PBS videos. They're super cool. They're very well done. Um, and, and I think that's pretty much it. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? No, other than that anyone can do what I do. Um, anyone can do uh, so much more than they can imagine, really. There's so much out there just waiting for us to just uncover waiting for us to just connect into nature. I, nature is waiting. Nature has so much power. I mean, we talk about the forces of nature. It, those forces are just waiting for us to align to them, and we can. And I am extending an invitation to everyone who hears this and everyone I meet to take part in that. That's awesome, guys. So, so take some action on that note, guys. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode. Looking forward to bringing you guys some more episodes soon. 